2 Corinthians chapter number 2, and I want to look at verse 11, 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 11. The Bible says, lest Satan should get an advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. Lest Satan should get an advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. And tonight I'm going to speak on the subject of plan A, B, and C of Satan. Plan A, B, and C of Satan. Don't be ignorant of his devices. These are the plans he's trying to uh get you to be involved in. He wants you involved in his plans, not God's. And so we're going to go through plans A, B, and C that Satan has so that we're not ignorant of his devices. The Bible tells us don't be ignorant of his devices. Now a device here in this verse means an evil purpose or plan. The way one thinks or schemes. Again, the word devices means an evil purpose or plan, the way one thinks or schemes. And uh, the devil thinks, the devil schemes, the devil has a purpose and a plan for your particular life, just like God does. It is very important that you and I believe in the devil. Not in a good way, but believe in his existence. Jesus spoke about the devil on 15 different occasions. Uh, It was a theme that he referred to often. He spoke about the devil on 15 different occasions. Sounds like he believes in them. Uh, A lot of people don't. And, and even some believers act like he's, he's not real. Uh, but he is real. And he has a purpose and a plan, and he has a lot of help. We're not sure how much help, but it appears that sometime in the beginning of history, he took about one-third of the angels and led them into a rebellion against God, and they became fallen angels, demons, or what the King James Bible calls devils. Some of them, for some reason, are already reserved in chains unto judgment. Praise the Lord. Because the ones that aren't are are sure having a heyday uh, among the human race. Uh, All of that judgment is up to God. But, you know, we do the same thing humanly. Uh, We will take some of the very, very, very worst criminals, and after they commit or they are alleged of committing a crime, we will put them in prison with no bail. You ever hear that? Uh, No bail. We don't want them out just because of the severity of the crimes they have committed. For example, the guy who shot all these people at Buffalo. In uh, Taps uh, Market, you know, no bail, just just put him away. We're not letting him out. Now, some other person who's committed an offense, 
uh, is let out on their own recognizance until their trial date. Seems to be the way it is with the demons. Uh, some have been reserved under judgment in chains, and others, although they're already sentenced, have, have not yet gone to serve their sentence, and they're, they're, they're free to do their dirty work. And that's a, a realm that I, I don't understand. I, I believe all judgment is God's realm, and He never does the wrong thing. But we got a very real personal devil, and he has a host of uh, devils uh, who assist him. And he has a plan, and he incorporates them into his plan. And uh, I want to call it plan A, B, and C, so we are clear what we are facing, what we are fighting every day. You know, if you don't know what your enemy, who your enemy is or how he fights, there's... Not a lot of chance for a victory, uh, but in any kind of, for, for instance, sport, sports analogy, you know that uh, one team studies everything they possibly can find out about the other team to try to give them at least some advantage or chance of maybe winning. Now, if they're smart enough to do that in the sports world, which means nothing, uh, we should do that in the spiritual realm. And know about our enemy. I call this plan A, B, and C of Satan. Plan A is to keep the lost from being saved. That is plan A. Turn back to 1 Corinthians chapter number 4. And uh, you are in 2 Corinthians now. Go to the book just before it. And in 1 Corinthians chapter number 4 and verse number 3, it says... Uh, no, maybe I should have stayed in 2 Corinthians. Sorry about that. Yep. Now you've got to go back to the other book. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 3 and 4. I thought so. I had it written wrong on my notes here. 2 Corinthians 4, verses 3 and 4. But if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost, in whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. Now I want you to notice the God of this world is a small g. This is talking about the devil. He's sometimes called the prince of the power of the air, and in this verse he's called the God of this world with a small g, which means he thinks he's the God of this world. And notice what his plan is. Notice what his device is here in verse 4. It's very clear. And that is to blind the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. And so one of the ways that he tries to pull off plan A is by getting us, in verse 3, to hide our gospel. Because our gospel may give somebody a little flicker of light, at least, to get them to start thinking about the glorious gospel of Christ, which is described in verse 4. So verse 3 says, But if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost. If our gospel be hid... 
It is hid to them that are lost, in whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds. See, he's working on every mind in the world, blinding their minds so they can't believe. He doesn't want them to know in their minds. Now, the mind is very important to salvation because the mind is where the heart is seated. Uh, We usually point down here when we talk about the heart because there's a muscle in our chest cavity that pumps blood all over and it's the center or the core of our being Uh, but literally the bible word for heart is the core of the mind the core of the mind but we get the heart we get words from it today uh, that uh, we still use in the greek if you were reading greek and it talks about the heart and how important that is which is seated in the mind of salvation That is the Greek word cardia, with a K, K K-A-R-D-I-A. And uh, you've all probably been to the CCU, maybe, to see somebody, the cardiac care unit. We spell it with a C, cardiac. Same word that we get back from Old Greek is now in English, cardiac. Anybody who works in a hospital, if you say, what do they do at the cardiac care unit? They are caring for a person's heart. Okay, originally it came from the word car, K-A-R, and that came from the Latin word core, C-O-R, from which we get the English word core, C-O-R-E. The heart is the core of your mind, the deepest part of a person's mind, and that is so important to salvation And it says in Romans 10 and verse 9 that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. So we see how important the heart is to the salvation of the soul. You must believe with the heart or the core of your mind. And so this is why this text in verse 4 says, The God of this world hath blinded the minds of them that believe not. Somebody was just giving a testimony about a 90-year-old man they led to Christ. And uh, they they told him it's it's not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but believing on Jesus Christ who died from the cross. And, And he said to this person, I have never heard that in my life in America. 90 years old, he never heard. No, it's believing on the Lord Jesus Christ. It's a gift we receive, not a reward we earn. And it's the core of your mind believing. See, for 90 years, that man's mind was blinded by Satan. That's plan A. And that's why he doesn't want you to say anything about the gospel to anybody. Because that might give him that little flicker of light. He wants to keep them in darkness, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, uh, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. Verse 5, for we preach not ourselves. Now, it's okay to talk about Roundup Sunday in our church, and we have these ministries and blah, 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 but we need to preach Christ. For we preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves your servants for Jesus' sake. 
And so this is why we need to say things. We need to witness to people or give out gospel tracts, booklets, or something. Because the Bible says, The entrance of thy words giveth light. It giveth understanding to the simple. And if you can go back and remember the day you were saved, how the light came on. And uh, maybe somebody sown uh, some seed in your heart and gave you flickers of light here or there or whatever. And Jesus is the light that lighteth every man that cometh into the world. John 1 and verse 9, he, he gives them some light. But Satan comes along and tries to blind their minds lest they believe. And so the mind, the core of the mind, the heart, is instrumental to salvation. This is why Philip, in his evangelism, in Acts chapter number 8 and verse 30, his first question to the Ethiopian in the chariot was this, Understandest what thou readest. Do you understand? The guy was reading Isaiah 53 from the scroll that he had in the chariot. You can read the story of his conversion in Acts chapter 8, but that was the first thing he said. First word Philip used was, do you understand what you're reading? And he says, how can I accept some man show me? In other words, accept somebody who does understand this How can I understand this unless someone who does understand this tells me what it means? There are four times in the Bible you will read this statement. Isaiah 6 and verse 10, Matthew 13 and verse 15, John 12 and verse 40, Acts 28 and verse 27. All four of those say the same thing. And those verses include this statement, lest they understand with their heart and be converted. Conversion requires understanding. Understanding with the heart four times, lest they understand with the heart and be converted. And so in order for a person to be saved, they've got to understand. We can't just rush through the thing and say, you want to pray? Uh, Yeah, why not? And they don't understand it. I kind of like, I, was, uh, I like watching Ty Warden. I was out at the fair with him a little bit, and he's got this large track, big print. It, it's, uh, it's the one, are you 50%, 75%, or 100% sure that you're saved, whatever it says on it, the cover. We have him around here. He has the large print ones. He has the people sit down. He sits down at the table in the back. They face him away from the crowds. He gives each one of them, one of them, and he opens it up and says, now we're going to go through the first section here. And he reads the first section to them slowly and explains that. And before he goes to the second section, he says this, do you understand this? Do you have any questions about this point? And then he goes on to the next one and on to the next one and on to the next one. And I saw him lead some people to Christ. You pray for him. He, he, he wants to go down to Jackson, Mississippi. Amazing Grace Missions called him last week, and they said, we don't have anybody, not one person in Mississippi, who will work the fair from October the 5th to the 15th. We don't have anybody. Would you be willing to come down? And, uh, you know, I think if we could get Tyler a little bit of money, he'll go down there and win souls all week. Ten days, he'll be the only one there. 
He stayed all day, every day, just about out here at uh, Dunkirk, and uh, he just wants to do that. Anyways, that's that's off. But but I like the technique Tyler Warden is using, and, and all of us need to realize it's biblical. They have to understand with the heart. And that's why we, we, we need to be careful. Children can. Children can be saved. Sometimes later in life they understand better, and they say, boy, I think I just said a prayer back then and I didn't believe. But that's all right because... We can see God still after them, amen? I've heard so many testimonies like that, dozens of testimonies where, well, I prayed a prayer when I was a kid, but then later I realized, well, praise the Lord, God kept after them. And don't you ever play God. Moms, dads, grandmas, and grandpas, do not ever tell your children they're saved. Don't ever tell them. His Spirit bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. You are not the Holy Spirit. And boy, I think some people have gone off to hell because some over-exuberant mom or something said, oh, no, you, know, you prayed with me once, you remember that? No, you just forget that. You just forget that. You let the Holy Ghost do the work. And you, you sowed the seed. Good for you, Mom. Good for you, Dad. Good for you, Sunday school teacher or whoever it is. But if later on in life they, they understand with the heart and believe, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord that you had a part in it. Plan A, keep the lost from being saved. Now, what if that fails? What if somebody gets saved? What is Satan's plan B? Plan B. Satan's plan B is if someone gets saved, to make them worldly. If somebody gets saved, to make them worldly. Plan B. Turn to Mark chapter 4. Mark chapter 4. And uh, we're going to look at verses 18 and 19. Uh, part of the parable of the sower. John 4, 18 and 19. And these are they which are sown among thorns, which such as hear the word, and the cares of this world... And the deceitfulness of riches, money, and the lusts of other things choke the word, and it becometh unfruitful. The cares of this world, and there are many, the deceitfulness of riches, that can fool any one of us, riches can fool people, and the lusts of other things, every single man and woman struggles with some lust. It's different for every one of us, but we have passions, every one of us. And uh, praise the Lord for those of you that have gotten the strength from the grace of God and the power of God to, to, to belong to Christ. They that are Christ's have crucified the flesh with the affections and lusts thereof. There is such a thing as victory over any lust that somebody may have. Uh, in their body, and it, it affects people different. Some people lust for nicotine. I, I don't have that problem. I got other problems, and so do you. And, and, and for some of you, God has given you great victory, and and those things are things of the past. Uh, but be careful about that, though. But notice this person that becomes worldly, and all their thoughts are on the cares of this world. Boy, they get so wrapped up in the the cares and the concerns and the anxieties that they have in this world. 
or the deceitfulness of riches. You know, I got I got to work. I got to earn money. I got to save up for retirement. I got to pay off my college loans and pay off my house payment, my car payment, and everything. And the next thing they know, the deceitfulness of riches, and I, I got to have money. And, and pretty soon, God is out of the picture in their life. Their whole life is revolved around making or keeping money or investing money or whatever. And then the lusts of other things coming in choke the word and it becomes unfruitful. Uh, is plan B working on you? Uh, I'm presuming here that you're saved. Uh, don't have to worry about plan A. Jesus saved me. Praise the Lord. I'm eternally secure in Him. Um, he's not going to keep me from being saved. I'm saved, okay? Now He's trying to plan B. And boy, the world looks so enticing. It looks like so much fun. It always does. He always wraps it up. You know, all of His, all of his shiny red apples have worms in them. But man, it just, he just has a way of making the world look like so much more fun than the Christians are having. Because he wants you to be worldly. But we are warned in 1 John and chapter number 2, and this is a famous verse. These are some other verses that should be memorized in every household. It says in verse 15, 1 John 2.15, Love not the world. Neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. It doesn't say he's not saved, that eternal life's not in him. It just says that he does, he's not loving the Father. There's, the, the, the love of the Father would keep him from being in the world. For all that is in the world, the lusts of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world passeth away, what a waste, and the lust thereof. But he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. As C.T. Studd interpreted this, one life will soon be passed, only what is done for Christ will last. The world passeth away, and the lust thereof. And being worldly is a serious crime that a believer can commit. James, he, he was no-nonsense, that guy. James 4, in verse 4, he says this, Ye adulterers and adulteresses, know ye not that the friendship of the world is enmity with God? Whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. And so all of us are tempted to be worldly. We want to be popular with the world. We want to be in with the world. We want to have the fun of the world. But then when you do that, you get involved in that, what we said this morning was that Ecclesiastes lifestyle of Solomon, where he had the wine, the women, the song, the musical instruments, all the wisdom, all the knowledge the world could give him, all the money he could buy, anything is that... that uh, uh, you know, his heart could possibly imagine, and he had all kinds of animals and all kinds of women. He, he had everything, and he just kept saying over and over again, all is vanity, that's emptiness and vexation of spirit. It has depressed me. He talked about his heaviness, and that's how it is. That's how it is. And yet the devil continues to use that as plan B, saying, hey, Eve, 
Quit serving God. God does not want you to enjoy the fruit of this tree. He knows that when you eat of the fruit of this tree, you'll be independent from Him. You'll be your own God. You can decide for yourself from then on what is right and wrong. And you're not going to die, Eve. And God's just holding out on you. God's holding out on the whole human race. He doesn't want any of you to ever smile again or be happy or have a cheerful heart. And so many people to this day listen to Plan B, even believers, and say, yeah, you know, I guess it is true. The world uh, is where I could be satisfied. But, boy, you get a true believer out in the world, and I can tell you from experience, they are miserable. They are miserable. And uh, we, uh, we need to stay close to the Lord. It hurts my heart to see people who were saved in their childhood and their teen years, truly saved, born again into God's family, but then in their adult lives, they, did, they started making money, and pretty soon they had to work, and they started missing church, and didn't have time to read their Bible. They're so tired every night, and they just want to relax and watch some TV, and, and next thing you know, they're whirling, 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 and those same people get up into their 60s and 70s and 80s when their bodies are broken, their health is failing, their strength is gone, and all of a sudden they have this epiphany. I should have been serving Christ. What can I do at the end of my life with a broken body, failing health, loss of strength? What can I do for the Lord? You know what happened? They fell for plan B. Plan B, I hate to give him any credit. But Satan is such a master over the human race that he's got a plan to distract you every day of your life from being spiritual. And decades will go by before you finally realize he did it. He did it. So I'm glad for you young people who started to serve the Lord in your youth. Amen. Glad for people like Pastor Seth who said, I'm going to serve the Lord from my youth, and he hasn't wasted his life. Pastor Barron, myself, I finally got right with God. 21 years of age, I gave my life to the Lord, and I've never taken it back. I try not to be worldly, and by God's grace. And many of you have done the same thing, too, and you, you serve the Lord. I've, I've, I've been serving the Lord with people in this room for 40 years. I've known some of you from before I was a pastor. And you've been serving the Lord, and you've turned your back on the world, and you've reached souls, and you've just been those wonderful workers in the church of Jesus Christ. God bless you, but boy, does that hurt when you see somebody who says, man, I... I How'd that happen? How'd that happen? Plan B. Plan B. Let me finish with this now. Plan C. Plan C. Someone decides, I'm saved. I don't want to be worldly. I want to serve the Lord. Now here's where Satan comes with plan C. And this is perhaps the most deceptive. It's where his plan is this. Plan C. If someone wants to serve the Lord, 
to get them to do it in their own strength. That's maybe the most deceptive one. Somebody wants to serve the Lord. Okay, looks like they don't want to be worldly. They want to dedicate. Okay, let me just try to get them now, plan C, to do it all in their own strength. And I I cannot believe the almost worldwide ignorance at this stage in human history of the Holy Spirit in the church. It's like those people in John 19 that Paul crossed path with and says, have you received the Holy Ghost since you believe? And what was their answer? We have not so much heard whether there be any Holy Ghost. And that's how many are, even people serving the Lord. And I noticed this at camp meeting because I preached on the Holy Spirit three times. And people who've been in church for 20, 30, 40 years were coming up to me and saying, boy, I need that. I've never heard that before. I said, wow. And again, I hate to give him any credit, but boy, is he good. Okay, you're going to serve the Lord, go ahead, but just do it in your own strength. Just do it in your own strength. Jesus said in John 6 and verse 63, It is the spirit that quickeneth the flesh, profiteth nothing. The words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. The flesh profiteth nothing. You and I have never done anything for God in the flesh. But, but pastor, I've led people to Christ and, and, and it looks like my ministry has been effectual. Don't confuse yourself with the power of God's word. Uh, An atheist could go out and preach the gospel, and I believe sinners could be saved, not because of the atheist, but because God said, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believes. And uh, uh, David Brainerd used to use a, a drunken Native American as his interpreter when he was reaching the natives up in New England. Now, the guy was drunk half the time, but he could, he could be sober enough to uh, take the English words David Brainerd was saying and translate it into the uh, native tongue of those Native Americans. And even though the guy was drunk, just revivals took place. People were falling on their faces before God, prostrate under conviction, begging God to save them. And uh, it's because of the power of the Word of God. Uh, His word is quick and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword. That's where the deception comes in, is is, is we can use the word of God. We can use the gospel. And, you know, if we're not careful, we can continue to do that in our own strength and see some results. Boy, that's the deceptive part. Plan C. Plan C. And uh, this is why Paul said, O oh, uh, oh, wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from this body of death? And this was talking about all of his frustrations, where he said, I am a carnal, sold under sin. This is while he was saved. He said, There's no more than I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. I, I'm saved, but the, the power of sin that dwelleth in me uh, has just taken me over. And, 
And, and, and the things that I hate, I do. And the things that I should do, I don't do. And he's talking about his frustrations. But then when he gets into chapter 8, that's chapter 7, chapter 8, he talks about how the Holy Spirit came in and helped him. The believer who tries to do God's will, tries to walk in God's ways and accomplish God's work in their own strength, is sure to burn out or fail. Now, maybe they're a man or a woman of character and discipline, and they can keep going through the motions, and, and as they use the word to soul win or teach or preach or something, they see some results, but that's so different from the abiding life. Uh, Jesus taught the abiding life in that upper room the last night before he was crucified, and we'll have the Lord's Supper here in a minute. But in that discourse, he said, I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me, and I in him the same bringeth forth fruit, for without me ye can do nothing. (coughs) And so he's the vine coming out of the earth, and we're the branches that the fruit hangs off of. But if you snip the branches and they become... Uh, uh, separated from the vine, it's not going to bear any more fruit. We need to practice the abiding life. And every one of us needs to be pursuing the power of the Holy Spirit. Acts 1.8, And ye shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you. Ye shall be witnesses unto me. Ye shall receive power. Now in closing, turn to Luke chapter 24 and verse 49. Just before he ascended into heaven, this is what he said, and this is what we need tonight to defeat plan C. Luke 24, 49, this is what he said to his disciples, And behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you, but tarry ye in the city of Jerusalem until ye be endued with power from on high. So Jesus is not saying, now try your hardest to live the Christian life, and then when all else fails, seek my power. No, he says, before you try anything, seek my power and then do it. And so I want to encourage the church tonight to do that, no matter what you're doing, if, if, you, if you're teaching a Sunday school class, don't, don't do it for weeks and weeks and weeks and months or years and then finally decide, I think I'm powerless. No, just believe you're powerless before you start. And all week, pray for power. Pray for the Holy Spirit to fill you and, and purge you and me. And I, I, I'm praying for power constantly that the words won't just fall to the ground and be forgotten. And, and uh, <coughs> that we be filled with the Spirit. That's what it means to be endued. And so he said, don't do a thing. He said, just go back to Jerusalem, all of you, and just pray. And pray that you can be endued with power from on high. If you want to be a powerful grandma and grandpa, pray, oh God, Endue me with power from on high. Otherwise, it'll be plan C for your grandparent years. And they won't be effectual. 
your mom and dad, pray for power from on high, or that your years won't be effectual, or if you're a preacher or a teacher or a singer, soul winner, uh, trying to make a difference at work uh, with your fellow employees, pray for power. Pray for power. Pray until you be endued with power from high. I know it doesn't have to be a spooky experience, but it's usually an experience much like salvation, where you say, wow, it Something just happened to me. And uh, remember the car analogies. I like to use the car analogies when I'm trying to teach on the Holy Spirit. You only get the gas tank installed once. And that's by the manufacturer at the plant. They stick the gas tank on the bottom. But you've got to fill it over and 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 over again. It never stops. You never stop. Nobody ever arrives to the point where they don't need to be filled again. And that's why David said in Psalm 92, verse 10, I will be anointed with fresh oil. He says, I know I was anointed back in the old days by Samuel when me and my brothers were there and dad, but I will be anointed with fresh oil. I need the Holy Spirit today. And then the power of God is like a battery in a car and uh, that is installed for power. When you were saved, the day you were saved, God installed a divine battery in you called the person of the Holy Spirit. But it means nothing and it does nothing until you connect the cables up. And get connected to the Holy Spirit. And a lot of people don't even pray to the Holy Spirit. They don't fellowship with the Holy Spirit. Philippians 2.1. They don't have communion with the Holy Spirit. 2 Corinthians 13 and verse 14. In fact, they not only don't have fellowship, they don't have communion with the Holy Spirit. They think it's strange to even pray to the Holy Spirit. And, uh, boy, it's not. I mean, he's right there with you, living inside of you. And and like I've said before, he didn't choose to live inside of you because you're such a wonderful, clean person. You're filthy on the inside, and so am I. It's the worst place God could possibly want to exist is inside of a human being like you and me. It's the worst place. But he knows we are the ones who need the help. And that's what comforter means, one drawn, drawn alongside to help. And so, take advantage of Him being there. Just say, Holy Spirit, help me. Holy Spirit, fill me. Holy Spirit, give me power. Holy Spirit, I'm reading Your Word. I don't know what this means. You wrote it. Teach me what it means. Holy Spirit, I don't know how to pray as I ought to pray. Help me to pray in the Spirit. As Jude said, I I can't witness. I can't make a difference. Uh, I won't have the power of God on me to witness, so help me to be able to uh, preach uh, in the power of the Spirit of God or teach my class or do my junior church or my children's clubs or whatever it is I do, discipling somebody. Pray for the mighty power of God. Shall we bow for a word of prayer? Our Heavenly Father, help us to know a little bit about our adversary so that we can win the victory. Oh God, He is so good. Uh, He has studied us for so long, and we don't mean to give Him credit in the church. But we've got to understand that He has a 6,000-year advantage on us. 
And he uses the same plans over and over and over again. Plan A, Lord, you know, is to keep people's minds blinded. And so help us to speak the word with boldness. Give out tracts. And then once someone's saved, he wants them to be worldly. He just says, okay, you're saved. That's good enough. Now go back to enjoying the world and the lusts and the cares of this world and money. Let's see what money can do for you. Build your life around money. But then, Lord, I think the most deceptive one is when one says and decides, I don't want to be worldly, but I want to serve the Lord. And then he has plan C. Yeah, go ahead, but just do it in your own strength. Don't know about the Holy Ghost. Don't pray to the Holy Ghost. But Lord Jesus, may we all be a, a church that gets alone with God until we're endued with power from on high. And not one of us to be deceived to think we have it. And it's good forever. It's not. We need you. I need you, Lord. We need that fresh oil. So as our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed, we think about these things. Perhaps we need to talk to the Lord about this message tonight before receiving the Lord's Supper. And maybe some would even be honest enough to say, Lord, I've been duped. I've been duped, but no more. You shine the light on this. And I need the Holy Spirit. So we're going to have a time of self-examination. Knowing the Scripture says if we should judge ourselves, we should not be judged. So with our heads bowed and our eyes closed, the music begins to play. Let's just take time for some prayer before the Lord and confession and come clean before our God tonight, before we have the Lord's Supper.